It would be a lie to say that I didn't want to quit. It hurt so much and it was getting to the point where I wasn't taking in fluids properly. It's like one step at a time. You can't think about how much you have left. That was Ethan Peters, and this is episode 156 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Ethan Peters is a 25-year-old software developer currently living in Fernie, BC. He started his running career at the age of 19 by completing his first official race that just happened to be a 100-miler. Since then, he has excelled in mountain ultramarathons, earning multiple podium finishes amongst elite fields on some very tough courses. Most recently, Ethan was the first Canadian runner to cross the finish line at the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc in Chamonix, France. Although the race didn't go exactly as he had hoped, he finished strong and learned a lot, coming home with some great stories to share. Ethan's introduction to trail running is rather unique, and his success at such a young age isn't something you commonly see amongst ultra runners. He is passionate, self-aware, and refreshingly relaxed in his approach to the sport. Without further delay, let's talk to Ethan. Well, Ethan, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. We're really excited to chat with you tonight. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's my first time on a podcast, so I'm, I'm pretty stoked about it. <laughs> well, we're thrilled to be the place where you, um, yeah, when you break into the, the podcasting uh, space, we're going to spend most of this episode chatting about all things that are UTMB because you just came back from a stellar performance there a few weeks ago. Uh, but before we get there, you know, there are, might be some of our listeners that have no idea who you are. Just imagine that. So why don't you give us a little bit of background as to who you are, where you are, and what you do with your day job. Yeah. Um, my name's Ethan Peters, and uh, I'm 25 years old. I live in uh, Fernie, BC, in Western Canada, and I primarily exercise with my life, like really where I enjoy spending my time and work is I hope none of my employees or, <laughs> or co-workers are listening to this but is is secondary it's kind of just to you know feed me and I do eat a lot of food so I do need to work pretty hard <laughs> um, but uh, uh, a couple of years ago I, I moved out west specifically to um, trail run and mountain bike and backcountry ski and and just uh, start living the dream and I haven't really looked back since and ultra running is definitely fits in with all of my favorite things. So it's just like a great place to, you know, test myself and really push myself. So, so um, why Fernie? What, what made you choose Fernie as a place <laughs> to move when you moved west? I hate driving. <laughs> I hate being in cars and being on the road and stuff. So I needed to live in a place that I could like run out my door and ski out my door and bike out my door like I, I luckily don't use my car for most of the summer and just use it you know getting to close ski areas in the winter so I definitely like it's the access and it's a beautiful beautiful place and it's not crazy like Banff or anywhere on the Trans-Canada Highway and it, it really it's like it's dreamy because it's like 250 kilometers plus of trails and big mountains around and 
the skiing's just quiet and 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 perfect and it, it in my opinion it's like the best place to live like every time i go home i'm always just so thankful so when you mention skiing are you talking like backcountry skimo style or downhill skiing alpine backcountry yeah Okay, so you are uh, a big into trail running. You're only 25 years old. This is striking me as a little bit odd. Like most of the trail runners that we talk to and ultra runners are a little bit older. So I'm curious about your kind of origin story, your intro to running. Was it always on the trails or did you have a background on uh, the track or cross country team? Yeah, so growing up, I played actually a lot of rugby and I alpine ski raced so both of those sports are pretty dangerous and I ended up hitting my head a bit too many times so at the end of high school I pivoted to track and really enjoyed mostly the training aspect of of track and field and the racing was fun too but it was always just a bit too quick for me and then in university I ended up on uh, the varsity rowing team randomly and also really enjoyed the training like training was also always my favorite thing and after first year on the rowing team I kind of decided that it wasn't for me and just kept on training and was I think it was the fall or the summer after first year I was just running a lot and a friend of mine asked me um, who had done some Ironman in the past and she was like I was talking about a run she was like oh how far did you go and I was like, oh, like 21 kilometers. And she's like, oh, that's weird. Like, why did you do that? Like, are you training for something? And I was like, no, I'm just running. Like, she's like, how, how much did you run yesterday? And I was like, oh, like probably, I think it was like 16 kilometers. I didn't have a watch at that time. Like, I was just like, you know, running for fun, like really. And uh, and she was like, you should run something. Like, you should go do a race. So that weekend, I was just like sitting on my phone looking at races. And I wanted to do a trail race. And I was like, oh, there's... There's a 20K like two weekends from now. That looks kind of fun. But I ran that yesterday. So I can't do that. And I was like, oh, uh, there's this mar- trail marathon or a trail 50K. I was like, oh, that looks cool. Like that's that's not that's not too hard. And, and then I was like, but that's only like two times what I ran yesterday. Like I could definitely run further than that. And then I was like, oh, let's just find the longest race possible. So I ran a hundred, hundred miler was my first ever race oh my God. <laughs> and I went into it like so naive. Like I think I brought peanut butter, jelly sandwiches and, and rice. My mom, my mom brought rice balls, which weren't the greatest. Uh, and we joke about it ever since, but uh, yeah, like I went into it. I had a hand bottle and wore no, wore no shirt. And I was 19 years old and didn't know anything about nutrition or training or anything. Okay, so let's just stop the bus there for a second. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so there's so many things here. As I was doing my research on you and looking at your running history, the first thing that comes up on it, like the very first, is this Halliburton 100 miler. And I'm thinking, <laughs> he was 19 then. There's got to be something before that. Apparently, no, there wasn't. <laughs> and like how many 19-year-olds decide they're just going to do 100 miles, more or less do it mm-hmm relatively you might have not felt it went well but you know you finished it like you finished it that's doing well you know period so why like you chose 100 miles um you said you wanted it to be longer yeah it was it like really comes down to like why I run in general I think like looking back at it, it it is a crazy thing to do 
a hundred miles in general is a crazy thing to do, let alone do it when I was 19. And I think it really was just like, I was looking to see where my limit was. Like, I was like, I don't, I don't necessarily know if I'm going to finish this race, but I'll set the goal pretty far. And as, as far as I can get is as far as I can get. And, you know, everything poorly went, like I, I ended up, you know, eating too much and then, you know, having stomach issues, like the classic hundred mile, first hundred miler. Um, I hallucinated, like, you know, I, I ran through, it was 26 hours. Like it was so long and I was just (laughs) waddling by the end of it. And I remember sitting afterwards and like feeling my body vibrating because it's just like moving for that long. And I was sitting there. I was like, I really enjoyed that. Mm. (laughs) I'm going to do that again. And you did. Yeah. (laughs) At first sight, really. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's amazing. And I know we could probably go down a long rabbit hole of all the different raises that you've done since then, which is really in like five to six short years here. Uh, I'll just do a quick summary. Like you, you definitely went long at first and kept it long. You did an ultra trail to Hurricane, Quebec mega trail. Then you did um, last year, the Sinister Triple, Sinister Seven, Canadian Death Race, and the Black Spur, all the longest distances there. That's actually where I got to meet Ethan, you know, for the first time was at the finish line of Sinister Seven, where he um, ran really hard and competed with my buddy Ehor for second place there, but then went back and won the death race, won Black Spur, um, and then most recently this year... Um, Black Canyons. You placed fourth at Canyons Endurance Runs in April. Excellent mm-hmm. placing there in the 100 miler. And then a nice little easy 50K at Elf Valley, <laughs> which brings you into, you know, the topic that we want to spend the most time on here, which is UTMB uh, in 2023. Yep. Congratulations, Ethan. You were the strongest Canadian uh, in the full UTMB event. I shouldn't say strongest. You finished the top Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're cheering you on all the way. But let's just back up. I went through that whole summary of your running bio because it's not easy to get into UTMB. You know, for most of us, there is a bit of a process. There is a bit of an application process and a lottery process. Mm -hmm. And your running kind of started peaking through kind of somewhat still COVID. So I'm kind of wondering, like, talk us through your road to UTMB. Was this something you decided you wanted to do like years ago? Was this something you woke up in January this year and said, I'm doing it? Like, how did you get onto the entrance list? So after I did Ultra Trail Hurricane, which I think is one of the best ultras I've ever done, um, it's super tough in in Quebec. I I did decently well, and I was like, oh, like that that was the first one. I was like, you know what? Like I think I can actually compete at this sport by decently well. I didn't like wasn't on the podium or anything. I just like you know felt strong and pushed through some hard stuff and started running uh, during an ultra, which you know something that a lot of people don't know about our sport is we don't run a lot. We do a lot of power hiking. Um, So it was really cool. And I felt strong. And after that race, I I looked at, you know, what the biggest race was. And I started dreaming about, okay, maybe at some day I can run this race in France called Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. And, but it, it wasn't like, what's the roadmap. It was like someday. And then last year I did the Sinister Triple. And again, like, I went into it like I want to win all three of these races and I, I was feeling stronger and I was really enjoying the training and 
and racing at that point too. I was from the first hundred miler to those races, I was a completely different person and I knew how to eat and how to train and everything. And I'm well, I, I thought I do. I was still learning a lot and I, I hope to always be learning a lot. But after those races, I was like, wow, I'm, I'm doing well. And I think I could actually get to the start line at UTMB. And I kind of always make a tough goal for myself. And I, I wanted to qualify for UTMB. I didn't want to go through the lottery process. So there's two okay. ways you can get into UTMB. You can gather these stones, which, you know, put your name into the lottery. And I think it's like 30,000 people. I don't know the number, but it's huge. It's a large, large number of people who try to get into the lottery. And people do. Like my friend got in from Kimberly and, and there's lots of people who get in, but I wanted to qualify with a performance. So there's a few races around the world called UTMB majors, and you just need a top 10 result at those races. So I decided probably last November to run Canyon's endurance race, um, which is in Auburn, California, and it runs similar trails to the Western States route. Um, so I, it was kind of like I get to run and try and qualify for the race. And I also get to check out Auburn and Western States, the Western States trail and everything. So that was in April and it was probably my best hundred miler ever. Like I just felt really good throughout it. And the whole race almost, I, I felt like I, I didn't want it to end. Like there's like a couple different parts of hundred miler and the, I don't want this to end part was like just the whole time. Um, so it was, it was really awesome. And, and you placed fourth. So you got one of those spots. I, so I got one of the spots and I was going for 10th. Like that was my goal is like, I just need to get in. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I, I came fourth and then started, you know, putting my head down for the training for UTMB and the guys I was racing against at Canyons were, you know, some of the best in North America. They were all trying to get to UTMB. So the competition was pretty steep. Like if they weren't running Western States, they were running Canyons to try and get into UTMB. So it was really interesting to run with those guys and, and all of them, you know, were, <laughs> had been running for much longer than me and laughed at my age. And, you know, I, I pulled it together and got to the end before them. So it, it was very, it was very satisfying. Like I was sitting on the plane on the, on the way home and I was just like, that was hard work. I put the hard work in and I got the result. Like it was very, very, very satisfying. And then finally, I got my name on the start line of or on the start list of UTMB. And, you know, my goal, <laughs> my goal was achieved, like just to get to the start list alone was mm. super satisfying. I just have a quick question on um, canyons, actually. Uh, okay. do, do you feel like you were a little bit of a dark horse on the start line of that race? Like people were looking around, they oh. don't know who you are. People, oh, okay, whatever. He's super young. Like we don't have to worry about him. And and as a tag on to that, I find it curious that you were going for 10th and got fourth. Like sometimes when you're going for fourth, you yeah. kind of mismanage your energy and blow up and get 30th yeah. you know what I mean but the fact that you were running within yourself and going for 10th and then were able to finish in fourth I'm just curious about what that looked like on the day of yeah so on the day of I definitely felt like a dark horse and no one really no one knew who I am and even <laughs> midway through the race um, when I was in third 
and there were these two, you know, pros running in first. They were running the whole race together. I think they had written me off. They thought I was going to blow up at some point and, and drop out. But at around 100K, I was right on them. Like they were leaving the aid station. I was just arriving and I'd slowly been taking time off them all day. So I was running faster than them and I felt great. And then once I saw them at that aid station, which is, I think, the same aid station as Robertson Flats, which is a pretty famous aid station in Western States, I was like, both of them didn't speak English. And I made a joke. I was like, I've been trying to run with you guys all day. And they do- both of them just didn't say anything. They just kept running. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. But at that point, you know, we had this long 10 kilometer, I can't remember. It was like 10 or 15 kilometer descent. And I was like, I'm, I'm a great descender. I'm going to just, you know, cream these guys. And I think because I looked so cocky and made the joke at them, they also were like, this guy is not you know, burning up, we got to put time on him. So they also dropped the hammer and really put some time on me. And I, I got pretty demoralized actually after that, because <laughs> I had lost uh, quite a bit of the gap there. And I'd put like a good effort in. So it was, uh, it was like, yeah, like, definitely cool to run and try and chase those guys. And at that point, they were like, this isn't just a random kid, like he can act his legs. Mm-hmm. And it was hot that day too. Like oh. I imagine living in Fernie, you're probably not used to running in that kind of heat. It was 35 degrees and mm-hmm. it was in April, like in April in Fernie, it's still zero. Like it's, we're yeah. still, I was still skiing. So I think the highest temperature I had gotten was 14 degrees in, in that training block. And cause I was driving South of Fernie to, to get on some trails and, Going to the desert, or not the desert, but the canyons, it was a complete shock to my system. But I just had the another reason why I was so satisfied after the races. I had my hydration so dialed, and that's a testament to the, my crew too. But I was soaked the whole race. Like I had ice in my back until like two in the morning, and like mm. they were confused at the aid station. They had the ice put away at night. And I was like, no, my core temperature is still nuclear. I need this ice. (laughs) But yeah, it it is, it was difficult. And Black Canyons was even harder, which is a race in February. And the heat is, is so tricky in every ultra. Arizona, I think. Right. Yeah. 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 That's one that Mm. I'm, I'm looking to, to go back to and try and clean up. Um, yeah, what was your second question? Yeah, it was just about whether you think like going for the top 10 because you're just oh, trying to yeah. secure yeah, your yeah. placing so, at UTMB. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to goal setting in any race, I always find that I perform best with no goal. And this is, uh, I'll talk about when I talk more about UTMB, but like definitely when I look back at like the races I've done super well at, it's it's going in with like a super humble and low expectation and, and just running. Like when I focus on just running, which is what was going at canyons, I can put together a, a super relaxed and calm and smart race. And, and that's what anyone can be fit in this sport. It's just like mm-hmm. who can be smart and mm-hmm. fit like at hour 17 or hour 15 of the race, like who can really like remember, Oh, I need to eat or I haven't, taken any salt in the last two hours and this isn't going to be good i need to over salt right now or i need to cut back my water or whatever you need to do the problem solving that comes in Mm -hmm. so 
I, I find that whenever I have a goal and whenever I'm like, I, I can win this race or, or the confidence just comes in, it's just like muddies the rest of the water and I can't make any good decisions. So that's something that I really learned at UTMB and, and at some races in the past too. And now I'm like, that's, that's a really big, it, going into any race, I'm, I got to focus on that. Like just chill. I think that's some profound self-awareness for 25 years old. I was just thinking the same thing. It takes people decades to get to that point of just, you know, like getting over themselves and you're, you're there already. I'm trying trying to get over it. (laughs) Okay. Well, you sound like a fairly consistent year round athlete and runner, but did you do anything specifically, um, customized in your training for UTMB? Did you change anything up knowing what kind of a course you were going to be going to? More. It was kind of more, 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 more was just, I kept on thinking. Um, and yeah, so really the training started after Canyon. So in April, I think I took, you know, one week off or one and a half weeks off. And I was like, I got to focus on, you know, getting elevation. It, that was my only concern really and I throughout the year like I I ski tour and I get quite a bit of elevation in but and I've always been a good climber and descender but from my research and just looking at the course I knew that the descents would just completely destroy me so really all the elevation all the time I put in leading up to UTMB my focus was just beating the legs up and and really being strong and, and, and intelligent with how I run downhill and not like, you know, you know, jumping off things and, and making, you know, not stupid, not running like stupid, but like it all adds up in, in a hundred miler. Um, so I, I really needed that to become unconscious and, you know, flow through, through these descents, these long, long mm-hmm. 10 kilometer thousand meter descents. So, you know, in April and, and May, I was just, you know, we've got a couple mountains in, in Fernie and I, I would just go up and down and up and down. And, <laughs> and even in my training for canyons, you know, I'd find one road, one 200 meter climb and, and run it for three hours. Mm-hmm. And was there about four months between canyons and UTMB? Paint us a little picture of the timeline yeah, here. So it was April, mm-hmm. end of April was canyon. So it was May, mm-hmm. June, July, August, and then September 1st. So it's four months. Okay. Um, and, and I did take like, there was the one week before or after canyons I took off. And then I took another week kind of mid training block off just because I felt every, like my immune system and everything was kind of getting a little overworked and I didn't want to, you know, mess Mm -hmm. up the the rest of the training. Again, profound self-awareness for a 25 year old. (laughs) So a few more questions on the training angle. So altitude, yeah. I know Fernie has some big mountains. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what the highest elevation is of them, but did you do anything specific to try to get high or were you just focusing on vert? Yeah. So I, I was looking at the vert and I knew that the altitude would come with the race. Luckily, Fernie's at a thousand meters and Chamonix's at a thousand meters. So mm-hmm. I wasn't too worried about it. And my plan, my training plan that I constantly am figuring out um, was to go to Europe on August 1st. Um, So the race is September 1st. and I was going to go to Europe on August 1st and train, you know, on the trail. And, and so I'd just be really acclimatized to whatever the altitude would be. And, 
you know, just before the race, I was looking at, you know, my training and some of the runs I was like running above 2000 meters for like three hours straight, like on these beautiful European ridges and trails. They're so nice. Um, (laughs) But yeah, when it came to altitude, I know like a lot of people, you know, there's like Kiwis, there's a lot of New Zealanders who come and race and the pros and, you know, like they're coming from sea level. And I was super Mm -hmm. thankful and lucky to have like this base of, you know, Fernie, which Mm -hmm. was a thousand meters. And then I stayed in Cormier, which is on the Italian side of the race. And for two or three weeks before, and that's at 1400 meters. So I was getting a lot of altitude and, and not worried about it at all. Luckily, like that would be just another thing. Like there's so many parts of UTMB and there's so many things that can mess you up. Altitude is one to just like, you know, easily check off for me and to kind of push off to the side. But yeah, it's as many of those things you can check off is that's what makes a successful race. It's not really (laughs) so much the fitness, like the fitness is good, but it's like the stomach and altitude and elevation. And and from all of the trail runners we've talked to on this podcast, that's part of the draw. Like if it was easy and super predictable, (laughs) it wouldn't be as much fun, right? That's part of, part of why people go to these hundred mile races. But, uh, talk us through a little bit about, like you mentioned that you do best when you don't put a lot of expectations on yourself. So I love that. So what was your kind of like strategy going in? Did you have a plan? Did you have a placing or a time goal or anything like that? Or did you just want to run by feel the whole way? I wish, I wish I just ran by feel the whole way, but I did have a goal and an expectation and, and you kind of have to too, because you got your crew and your supporters who are looking Mm -hmm. to find you throughout the race. So I looked at my training, I looked at my racing and the guys I raced against at canyons and how they did at UTMB because they'd Mm. both or three in front of me at canyons because I came fourth, they'd all raced UTMB and they'd all placed, you know, the two of them had been in the top 10 and the last guy had been in the top 50. And I talked to them at the end and I was like, okay, I can run a 22 hour race. That was like my goal. And I knew that was pretty crazy because 22 hours would have put me in the top 10, at least last year. I I actually haven't looked at the times of the top 10 this year, but I'm sure it's like very fast because it was a fast year. Um, So, so yeah, so my expectation going in was a top 10 result and a 22 hour race. And looking back at my race, which ended up being 25 hours, of course, you know, my, I didn't hit my goal and I was three hours off it. Like, I, I'm a little disappointed and you know, you started this with congratulations on your great performance at UTMB. And even when you said that, I was like, oh, I'm going to talk about how I'm disappointed and people are going to be, you know, smashing their heads and you're like, you shouldn't be disappointed. You, you did so well, but, and I am, I'm super happy and I can get into, you know, the nitty gritty of, of why I'm happy and that performance that I had and, you know, I did come 41st, which is crazy. And, and I'm proud of that. But it wasn't, you know, top 10. And that's the sport. And I'm also okay and accepting of that. Yeah, well, and 
it was your first time. Like it takes, look at Jim Walmsley. How, how many times does it take him to nail a race? You know, oops, yeah. Western States took, I don't know, four or five times <laughs> and UTMB yeah. a few years, right? So of living yeah. there full time. So yeah, I think you need to give yourself a little bit of grace there. Although you have accomplished what you have because you, um, you want yeah. to achieve, right? So mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to tone that down too much because who knows what you've got in the tank for next time. Um, okay. So you went in with a bit of a strategy. So let's just go there now. Like give us a play by play of how did this race go down for you now? So like I said, leading up to it, I, I had, I had run in Europe for a whole month. Um, so I ran about, I think it came up to around 70 kilometers of the course, which is 170 kilometers. So a good chunk of it, like definitely not half of it. And, but the stuff I'd ran, I was really thankful for, um, throughout the race. Um, so leading up, I had, I had this great training base and, and block and I had a really bad rolled ankle. I actually thought I broke my ankle, um, leading up to it. So I took some extra time just before the race, um, just to kind of make sure everything had healed and, and it did. And my ankle was definitely really weak. Um, but I, I was fine. I was okay with starting the race and, and I thought it would be all right. And then, yeah, the, the day of, uh, leading, oh, also leading up to the race, we had this crazy heat wave, this heat dome in the Alps on one of the articles or podcasts I was listening to. It was, I, it was Tom Evans. And he was like, when there's a heat wave in the Alps, one week after there's always like torrential downpour, snow, sleet everything like the mountains are covered in snow like high passes are not passable like so i was a little shocked of that and scared and i saw it like there was a block of rain on the weekend of utmb leading up to it and slowly but surely it all dissipated and the rain it was a really tough tds race which was a couple days before utmb but by the time utmb hit it was like perfect weather so that was really good. Another check off the you know list of things not to worry about. Um, but that's said, I mean, you coming from you had ski background, Canadian yeah, Rockies, or would have been better. It would have been easier for me. Yeah. The, yeah. Another another person said like this this year's not a runner's race; it's a mountain man's race. Um, mm, so okay. the man, the the top mm. man will be like a, a a mountaineer, more mountaineer than ultra athlete. But mm-hmm. the weather cleaned up, so it, it didn't come to that. So yeah, so the start line was epic. Like, like I get goosebumps just thinking about it. But during race week and and that day, it was so crazy. Like the people, the crowds. Like I remember, I luckily I had a good seed. There's the top 200 athletes were seated, so um, I actually was on the start line beside Elsa. Um, we were oh, chatting, cool. yeah, um, and. Uh, yeah I I remember turning around and seeing like just people for as long it's kind of of a slight incline behind the start and you could see everyone all the way up and oh my god it was a little shocking I I turned to this guy beside me I was like don't trip you are you're (laughs) dead you're dead if you trip they're running in the bulls (laughs) yeah and then yeah it just the epic music played and the clapping and everything you see on instagram and on youtube and you hear about is just it's it's crazy i i suggest that anyone whoever trail runs should go and experience it or you know just like sport it's it's a crazy Mm -hmm. time 
and yeah, it's the, the race just started <laughs> out of nowhere. <laughs> I was not ready, but it, it was like immediately a three thirty pace, a three thirty kilometer for you know two kilometers at the beginning. This is how the, the Europeans start races. At least I've been learning. Yes, <laughs> this is. It was like I knew it was going to be fast, and it was blistering fast. And but like the people in the atmosphere, like it doesn't feel like you're running fast. It, it, it was free. It was free energy. I kept on telling myself, but it's not. Can I ask a question on that? Is that because it's like you're filing down into like single track and you want to get a good position or something? Why <laughs> no. would you go out at 3.30 pace no. in 100 miles? It's, it's, you can, I don't know. You can, I, like, <laughs> I have absolutely no clue why they do it. It was super fun though. Like it, it was really cool. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And like I had the fitness for it. Like I wasn't worried about it. What I was worried about, how long it would last. Um, so yeah. quickly, I noticed that, you know, we were running, like it was 3.30 for the first little bit, and then it slowed down to like a 4.30 kind of, which is still yeah. really fast for a 100 mile, like mm-hmm. super, super fast. And it was, it's like 10K of road slash double track gravel road at the start. And it's all lined with, it was all lined with people. So it was, it was super cool, oh, cool. atmosphere. Um, and, uh, yeah, like at one point I was like, you know, looking at my watch, like checking my heart rate and it was at 190 ah. oh my goodness. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I felt fine. Like I was super relaxed and I know what 190 feels like, like if I'm doing a workout or whatever, yeah. I know what it feels like. So I was like, okay, Ethan, like something's wrong here and you got to figure it out. And this is like where the waters were muddy. What I was yeah. talking about earlier is during a race, I can usually be like pretty self-reliant and and problem solve in the moment. But at that moment, I was like, you're burning up, like you're going too fast and you got to slow down. But I didn't. Um, Mm. And I kept on going and and I knew I had the fitness for it. And I I felt because I was relaxed, but I was soaked. I was just drenched in sweat. Um, I've always burnt hot, but I was soaking wet and no one else was wet. One of the French guys, I, this is something I've noticed in, tra- in trail running recently is the trash talking. There's not a lot of trash talking in, in Canada, but in the States and in, in Europe, I guess there's some trash talking. And this guy okay. came up beside me and was like, did it rain? I missed the rain. He said it in French. <laughs> and I was like, he was like an ultra, like an ultra athlete. And I was like, no, I'm just really sweaty. <laughs> I said it with a smile on my face, but all of his buddies were like, "Oh, you got him!" Like it was, it was, yeah. So I was definitely burning up um, pretty hard, and and I was trying to be cognizant of that. Like I was taking a bit more salt than I was planning to, because it wasn't a super hot day, but we were just running fast. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I was eating and and trying to you know eat and salt for the effort that I was putting in. And it was about an hour of, of fast running. Then, yeah, once we started getting, getting to the climbs, I was like, okay, this is, I I don't feel right. Um, So after the first couple climbs and descents, uh, my stomach started turning and that was it. Like it was an hour and a half of no stomach ache and no issues. And then it was like the rest of the time. The rest of the race, like for another entire day? day, a whole day. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, I want to complain about it. I want to be like, oh, I had a bad race because of stomach issues. But at the same time, 
I haven't read one, you know, post-race rundown of any of the pros mm-hmm. or anyone really who said, oh, my stomach was great the whole time. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, like, I know that like you're eating or I know because I've done it, like you need to eat a, quite a lot of calories to, you know, fuel a good hundred mile effort. And I did that at Canyons and my stomach wasn't upset necessarily, but it was sore. Like you're just constantly digesting so many calories. Just, that jiggling, it just bouncing for that long. Yeah. yeah. So I know how to do it. And because of, I think like looking back to it, it's hard to say what caused the stomach issue for me personally, but I think it was because of that effort. And I was like yeah. trying to fuel for that effort, but my body wasn't used to it. And, you know, if I'd done like track workouts with mid fueling during the track workout, I'm sure I could have been a bit better, but I didn't train for that. Yeah. I was training elevation. So how do you, okay. I'm just trying to put myself in your position. You're an hour into a hundred miler. Your stomach (laughs) goes South. You've maybe gone out too fast. Like how do you stay in it? Like what did you actually do? Like maybe on the mental side, as well as the physical side to stay engaged for another entire day. Yeah, And not just complete but compete right like you didn't just yeah. stay moving you stay competitive i maybe not to the level you wanted to but mm-hmm. you didn't back off much so no it, it would be a it would be a lie to say that i didn't want to quit especially at that moment like 30 kilometers in was the first crew stop um so you could you could get aid five times through the race and about 30 kilometers was the first one and leading up to that i was like my stomach is like gone like it hurt so much. And it was getting to the point where I wasn't taking in fluids properly. And I was, I was just super nauseous, but I, luckily I didn't throw up anything. So I was like, as long as I can keep eating food and holding it down, I can, you know, keep running. Um, So, you know, I just kept on going and it's like one step at a time. That's like the thing is like, you can't think about how much you have left. The, the second you start thinking about how much you've left, the race is done. Like you are, mm-hmm. you can't do it. You can't like at that point, you know, you've got more than three marathons to run in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like a mind boggling amount of distance in time. Like to think if I was like an hour in, I was like, I have a day of stomach ache, you know? Yeah. Like that, it wouldn't you be it. Known. But <laughs> all I was, all I was thinking of was, you know, how can I fix this right now? Like that's, that's just like trying to stay in the moment as much as you can, or like, you know, looking at, okay, like we're going up there, up looking up the trail and saying like, Oh, we're, we're going up, up -hmm. there. And that's my next mountain pass I have to aim for, you know, just Mm -hmm. making the goal super small, but. And shifting your focus. Yeah. Shifting focus. Like you didn't, yeah. You didn't turn it around completely. Like you said, you had a day's worth of stomach issues. But you didn't end up like Tom Evans either. So you no. you were digesting some kind of calories. What were you using? Like, were you using liquid nutrition? Were you using solid so, food? I, you know, I've, I've used quite a bit of different strategies to fuel my races. But at this point, I'm using spring gels a lot, which is a cool Ooh, love spring. company. Yeah. Yeah. From, from the States. And they make like a, a gel that's like more real food. A lot of it's mm-hmm. basmati rice and vegetables and peanut butter mango. And, yeah, yeah mango and like <laughs> apple like it's it's real food um because i've had my stomach really upset mostly actually after the race because of like if i take really processed food in 
I feel like my, you know, gut is like rotten for like a week and a half mm-hmm. afterwards. And even with like taking, you know, the spring gels, it's a lot of gels. Like yeah. I was trying to do um, around 300 calories an hour, um, which is quite a bit of quite a bit of food. And it wasn't all gels. Like I do, I think it was like three gels to one bar. So I was eating solids and the aid stations at UTMB are so good. Like, oh my God, take notes, take notes. No, luckily, I, I mean, not luckily, but I, I didn't go there. But leading up to the race, I was only fueling on like croissants and cookies because I couldn't find any sport nutrition. So, you know, I would just take like croissants from the hotel we were staying at and and I would slather Nutella on them. So I, I wasn't actually training with any spring gels. And I wasn't training with any bars. I was training with like food. So I think that is another thing that played into the stomach issues is I've raced a lot on spring gel. So I wasn't worried about it like that. But at the same time, my stomach wasn't used to it. Like, I don't know how quick the stomach turns to different things, Mm. but um, it was something I was thinking about. I was like, okay, maybe I can just fuel on bananas and oranges and, you know, bread and chips and stuff at the aid stations. And that wasn't working super well either. And Um, it was kind of like the whole night was really painful. And luckily at one point I started moving, like food started moving and I started having gas, which was, you know, relieving to the food, relieving to my pain. Um, Mm -hmm. and then like, yeah, the whole night was really painful. Um, but the guys I was running with, I wasn't running, I didn't run with anyone really the whole race. At one point I was running with the woman who came in second for a good section did you run with Elsa for a bit? It looked like you guys were pretty close for a while. So, yeah, it's a, funny you say that. Like in the in the middle of the night, there's a, a major aid station, Cormayer, and I got to Cormayer kind of 30 or 40 minutes behind when I'd hoped to come in. And, and my crew was like, oh, you, you, can, you can make that up. Like, don't worry about it. And I was like, man, I'm in so much pain. And And then probably just like two minutes before I left, Elsa came in. And she was like, oh, if you're here, you're not doing well. And I remember I was just like, just like getting up from, I didn't have my vest on yet. And she turned over, she was a couple of tables over and she's like, are you going back out? And she asked it in a way like, I, I don't think she meant to, but I heard like, it looks like you're quitting. And, mm. but she said like, are you going back out? And I was like, yeah, I'm going back out. That was like a little push, a little extra push, but throughout mm. the race, the rest of the race, Elsa and I were kind of right together. And as, as the race went on, her crew was really, <laughs> my crew, we had like this little tiny table and it's funny, like everyone at UTMB, their crews come in, they set up these huge like buffets that are like a whole table wide of like everything that a runner could possibly need. And I had like a little container of rice and it was <laughs> it's nothing against my crew. Like my crew is so good. Perfect. But it was just funny. It was like very comical to see like the comparison. But um, was your mom on your crew and has her rice bowl recipe improved since the first? <laughs> no, it's funny that you said she's gonna she's gonna listen to this and she's gonna laugh pretty hard at that. But she wasn't on my crew. It was um, a runner from Fernie, um, Mike Moore, um, who's who's crewed okay. me a couple times and he's he's awesome. Um, and he, he knows, you know, what I can take. So it was really good. Um, but yeah, so at, at that point at Cormayer, I was running with 
the elite athletes who had stomach issues. Like that was like the group. <laughs> it was like seven of us. And like, it'd be funny. You'd be, loves company. <laughs> you'd be running along and you'd see like, you know, lots of butts in the woods, like pooing. And, you know, like, it was really comical. Like at one point I was like, this is just funny. Like every, all of us, like, you know, had great aspirations to be in the top 10, but all of us have like really bad stomach issues. So it, it was like this little good group of, uh, of guys. And then kind of right as the sun rose, I was starting to be able to take a bit more salt in. And I think that really helped out with resolving my stomach issues. But at the same time, I started having really bad pain in my right leg. So it was like the pain in my stomach was resolving and getting replaced by like uh, the sensation of like a knife being stabbed into your calf every step. Oh my goodness. So, okay. Just for context for our listeners that aren't aware, the race starts at 5 PM. So when you're talking, the sun rose, we're taught maybe 12 to 13 hours into the race here. So roughly yeah. halfway. halfway. Yeah. And another thing about the half, the, the good old halfway mark is, um, People, a lot of people think the halfway is in Cormier, which is 80 kilometers into the race, um, which I was hoping to get to at like nine hours and 45 minutes. And like I said, I think I was there at like 10 hours and 30 minutes or 11 hours or something like that. But like the halfway, if I was to put a halfway mark, I would say it's like 130 kilometers into the race. Um, it was like the same amount of effort and mental capacity mm. to get to 130 kilometers. Uh, it also took to get the last 40 or, or 50 kilometers to the end so and which aid station is that at about 130 give us some context yeah yeah that's a lot, a lot of people, people say drop. yeah a lot of people drop there yeah. and a lot of people say that's where the race starts like especially for the winners yeah. like there's like a huge descent to get there and a lot of people burn up on that descent and then they kind of like waddle up to Champelac. coming up to Champelac, my leg was you know starting to flare up and every ascent and descent, it, it just got tighter and tighter and tighter. And it was the tendons behind the knee. So it was like my hamstring was pulling on, on my tendons. And then that was pulling on my calf and it felt like my calf was going to tear. And coming up to Champelac, there's like this tiny little climb that I knew was going to feel a lot bigger than a tiny little climb. It was like a 300 meter climb and it was getting really bad. And, and I kept on thinking like, a torn calf like for a runner is like sometimes can mean like no more running um mm -hmm. so i really didn't want to like end like i was like this isn't worth it like i i don't need to end my running career for this you know lousy like in my head i was like this lousy result um <laughs> but i was still catching people like i was still you know catching people and i still was running and i wasn't like walking just walking like that's where it gets really demoralizing mm -hmm. um but i got right. to champelac and just coming up that climb uh, a kid like a, a really young guy came up behind me and he was like hey ethan and i was like oh no one knows my name like and it was this 22 year old french guy and i was like oh my god you're you're young i'm young like this is great we should run together <laughs> this guy was just he he looked fresh he was like just like double pulling very euro double pulling up like these climbs like running and i was like oh yeah like i can i can catch up i can run with this guy and i felt pretty good but i'm i like in all of that bit and this is also 
muddy water territory is I didn't eat. Like I, I missed mm. like one 30 minute section mm. or one 40 minute section of eating. And then also put this little push in that same 30 minute section. So it was burning a lot more. And I got to Champagne Lac and I was gray. Like I was completely zonked. And my crew, like Mike was like, oh no, like you look really bad. Um, I don't think he said, he didn't say that, but that's, that's what he said. Like, like What you I, don't want to hear from your crew. <laughs> I never say that to you if they're a good crew, but um, yeah. So he, he actually kept on saying, I've seen you worse. You can get through this. Like, that's what he kept oh, on saying. Nice. The whole, I think it was oh, there Mike. for like 30 minutes and he was just awesome. Like, I was like, I'm going to tear my calf. I, I, I got to get out of this race. Like, I don't want this to end my running. And he was like, no, like, I think you'll run through it. Like, I, I just think you need to eat more. Like, you haven't eaten enough. Just get more food in you and you'll eat. And he just kept on, like, trying to, you know, oh, eat these chips. Or, and I'd be like, I don't want to eat anything. And then this is where Elsa's husband, who was crewing her, he, he had, like, the whole thing out. And he gave me a gravel and um, some ginger ginger beer. And he was, like, helping us out a lot. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so I, you know, was like waddling around, like I was dealing with a lot of really bad chafe and I had this calf issue and I couldn't straighten my leg without, like, I couldn't straighten my leg and I couldn't put any weight on my foot or my leg without being in really bad pain, let alone walk or run. So I was like, I got to get out of this race. And Mike was just like, no, just like take a second, eat, have a Snickers bar mm. and, and get back out there. And yeah, I went over, I hugged my girlfriend and I gave my mom a hug and, oh no, sorry, my, my mom wasn't there. I asked where my mom was, so. Um, <laughs> you like, were in a world of hurt. Where's, where's my mom? Mommy! <laughs> and uh, they were like, she'll be at the next aid station. That's what they said to me. I was like, okay, great. I can get to the next aid station. She wasn't there? She wasn't at that age. Oh, the crew, you should have the crew on for a whole podcast because they've got all kinds of stories. <laughs> we should. But she was in she was in oh, yeah, uh, yeah. the area. She just wasn't yeah. at that oh, one age. Okay. That I thought station, you yeah. meant they oh, okay. were telling you your mom was going to be at the next aid station and she was like oh, back in Canada. Oh my God, no. That would have been, that would have been crazy. would <laughs> have been really hallucinating. Yeah. But wait, how did that guy, that young guy you were running with, how did he know your name? I think how like, did he know who you were? I, I don't know. Like we talked, we talked for a couple minutes, and his English wasn't great. But um, he had a really bad night, um, so he probably, you know, I I don't know. I can only assume, but I, I I'm guessing that someone else was like, oh, there's a, another young idiot somewhere up the trail. Like we okay. try and catch him up. <laughs> but everyone knew him. Like he was like a a very popular French runner. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he was supposed to do really well. I think he did really well based on having like. Like if he was behind me, he he must have had a really bad time because I was having a bad time. Um, and then yeah, Elsa actually passed me at that aid station. She left, um, and we were like, you know, we'd been chatting all day, so it was it was pretty cool to. She's a legend, so um, it's cool to run with run with her and and just you know talk with her. Um, and then yeah, so I I actually did start going, and I remember right in front of my dad and my girlfriend, I like took, I tried to take one running step. Like it was flat coming out of Champagne Lac and I just like, my legs didn't work. And I just like kind of shuddered in pain. 
and like slowly walked away. And that first like three kilometers were so bad. Um, I remember I, I stopped at one point and I cried. Like I was just like, and I felt like my, my arm going to get my phone, which was in like deep in my bag and calling people. Like I just, I, like, it was almost like I felt like this draw to just grab my phone and get out. I, I was just one more step. Like I just kept on telling myself that like, like I couldn't run. It was too painful, but I could walk, um, which was also painful, but like I could do it. And then I was like, let's just walk and try and walk a little bit faster and a little bit faster. And then maybe we can build up enough adrenaline. This was my strategy. I can build up enough adrenaline to deal with the pain. So then finally I took like a descent, like it was like a slow, slight descent and I was running and I was like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. It felt like I was moving at a slug's pace going up hills. Like I was hiking so slowly. Um, yeah, I was still catching people. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, you you catched Elsa, caught Elsa. Yeah. You were yeah. moving. Yeah. I was still, you know, moving and I was catching people and it was super motivating. And I got to the next aid station and, and Mike was like, this is a win. Like, you are crushing it. You look so good. And you're going to, you're going to do so well. Like you're getting your second win. I turned to Mike. I was like, I feel the exact same way. Like this is Mm. not, yeah, this is the exact same as I was feeling at the last aid station. Let's just get the food in me and let's get to the end. And he was like, okay, let's go. Let's go. And I, I, we were super quick and I was out of there. They make the race so smart. Like the first couple sections from crew to crew are so long. And then at the end of the race, they're so tiny. Mm. So like you're really motivated to, you know, see your crew again and, and your family and, and, and that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So then I got to the last aid station, the crew station. I saw my mom there, which was great. And, and then leaving that aid station, a Japanese runner caught up to me, um, who was looking pretty fresh. And he was like, you know, we had this really broken English. It was all broken. The funniest, funniest thing about UTMB is everyone is from everywhere and no one really speaks English. So like, you're just like having these broken <laughs> conversations with people in Spanish and Japanese and Mandarin and French and German. And it was, it's just so cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we were chatting and I was like running with him. And, and then like, I got to the base of the last climb. I was like, I'm, I'm feeling good. Like, this is it. This is the second win that I've been waiting for, for the last 15 hours. Um, <laughs> and it's finally hit. And I had like 15 kilometers left. So I ran, I ran a lot of that climb. Like it was, it was crazy um, how I felt going up there and I got to the top of it and I had like two orange slices and shed a tear and it was a seven kilometer (laughs) descent all the way to Chamonix. And I was just like, I felt so good. And I was at that point, I was looking at my watch. I I kept looking at my watch because I was trying to find, um, I was trying to get 25 hours. Like I was like, I can, I can get 25 hours. It's going to take a lot, but I can get it. And I was, as I was getting to town, people kept on yelling numbers at me. And I was like, what are they yelling? Why are they yelling? And it was the minutes to 25 hours and uh. about a mile from the finish, which I knew like I, when I was training, I was like, I want to find a mile just so that I know how far it is. And a mile from the finish, someone was like four minutes. And I kind of laughed. I was like, there's no way I'm running a four minute mile. <laughs> <Yeah>. after <laughs> 70 k. You don't want to bookend it, you know, four minute mile to start, another one at the end. I was I was feeling pretty good, and and the atmosphere at the finish was you know almost as good as it was at the start. Like it was just like crazy people, and I got a photo with the Canadian flag, and it was just like pretty special to to finally get there, and especially after a race where I, 
you know, I thought I was going to either be not walking in crutches or just quit. But you were only, you were four minutes and 40 seconds over 25 hours. So that means you ran an 840 mile for the, your final mile, which is like, that's I moving. Was, like you're running. Moving, yeah. I was running. That's, that's yeah. practically a sprint at the end of a hundred miler. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. it is. Okay. So you, you have had quite a story there. Um, have you ever had a race where you struggled so much? No, that was the hardest oh it would it would compare to my first ultra my which was 26 hours and like the second 13 hours of that 26 hours were just really really tough um but yeah. i've never had a race with like essentially from the start to the finish i was dealing with really yeah. bad pain and especially after like putting so much time training and having a good number of races like the mistakes i made were you know mistakes i've already made that's that's one thing that I'm disappointed mm. about is like I, I should have known I, I should have oh, known about know. a lot of that but like that's racing like it's just like that's racing and, and you know who can blame you at the start of UTMB you're not going to be the only person hanging back and letting a 500 people go ahead of you but yeah. maybe you should be so I guess that's my next question is I'm, I'm sure you're going back you've got some redemption it sounds like um, what did you learn what are you potentially going to contemplate a little bit more for next time um yeah like technically on the technical side like training and nutrition and and that I definitely learned that I should put a bit of everyone always says like oh you should put speed work in you should put speed work in like it's not all about trails and I was like yeah like I should put speed work in and I, I was telling my friend like oh yeah like I'm gonna add like maybe a workout or two workouts a week um nothing crazy and nothing too intense but just like working your top my top a little bit and he was like oh so you'll you'll cut out something and you'll put that in and i was like no 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 it's just more it's adding on to the to the volume <laughs> like i'm not taking anything out and then nutrition side of things like that was just you know kind of stupid like i should have been training with exactly what i was racing with all the way up to the race instead of like swapping really or really soon before the race well, it's interesting though, because I'm, I'm with you. I don't know how long it takes my gut to adapt to certain things, but it sounds mm -hmm. like I never, I probably would have made the same assumption. Oh, I've raced with spring many times before. Do I really need to be training with it right up to yeah. the end? But it sounds like, yeah, there's so many things that when can, there's, there's so yeah. many variables that just have to align perfectly. Why yeah, like, with it, right? <laughs> there's so, yeah, there's so many things too that can like just turn your stomach and and it probably was the effort and at the start and and the salts and like there's there's probably so much that could have gone into it um but the last thing i learned um was the ex the expectations which i was saying earlier is just like i should have gone into it with you know and told my crew like yeah i might run you know i could possibly run a 22 hours but my goal isn't that like my goal is just to run my race um and 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 wherever that puts me is where it puts me and and I need to like really reiterate that in my head going into any, any race I do next time is just like, you know, just you got the training. You can be confident with how you run. People blow up in races and people run slower right. second halves. And that, that was the thing is like, I was running a really conservative pace for 22 hours, but at the same time, like I should have, you know, ran it my own way not like based it off of i was basing it off of someone else's splits and mm. 
another like I was looking at two different models like to see how fast I'd run it and I should have just been like I think I have the potential to do it but I just got to focus on running not on splits or stressing about anything. Yeah. And it sounds like you kind of thrive. I think a lot of people do on when, like, remember you were saying that when you started to feel better and then you're like, oh my goodness, I'm catching people and that re-engaged yeah. you. Like it is always more fun to be feeling strong and catching up to people and, yeah. and being that guy as opposed to like the one who's getting passed all the time, which it doesn't sound like that that was your, but just knowing again, a, a yeah. self, a, another feather in your self-awareness cap to just be like, okay, it's better to be conservative and finish mm-hmm. strong or, or whatever the, the thing is. But um, talk to us a little bit about your recovery. How did you, because it sounds like you had the issue with your calf and then your yeah. stomach, like how did you come, how did you fare like in the days and weeks after? A hundred miles is like really hard. It, like every race is totally different, the recovery, but um, the first couple hundred milers I did, I got really sick afterwards. And that was due to training. And so I'm always stressed about that, especially with like travel and like, you know, your immune system just gets completely ripped Mm -hmm. during the race. Um, So, yeah, so that's like my big stress. Like I'm cool with sore muscles. Like I just don't want to get super sick. Like and, and it's challenging because right after the race, my stomach is usually done. Like it's not taking on any more food. So and it, everything is nauseating to eat and it just, it really sucks. <laughs> um, but luckily, uh, I, my parents got some really great pizza, like this Italian place in Chamonix, which is really good. The dainty slice. You got to go there if you okay. go to Chamonix. Um, <laughs> yeah, take a note. Best pizza <laughs> I've ever had. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I luckily I, I got to put down a little bit of calories that night. And everything was kind of like, I just got to eat well for my immune system. Like my muscles will recover or if they, my muscles were ripped. Like I'm sure I burnt a bit of protein during the race too. And I wasn't super worried about that. I was just worried about like getting in good calories um, for my immune system. And that's where like training, like people are like, oh, train. So you run a really fast race. But if there's anything I've learned about training, it's like train so you can recover really quickly. Um, mm, so that was like, point. like coming off of races, people are always like, Oh, you're going for a run. Like it's Thursday. Um, after a hundred mile or you ran a hundred mile this weekend. Like, why are you running? Like you should recover. I was like, no, I'm, I'm feeling good. Like, and the like light running is like super good for my recovery. Like that's how I train. Like I'm never really giving, taking breaks or anything. So the recovery was really fluid because of the training. So I'm super thankful for that. And then the injury, like the next day already, it felt better. So Mm, it's, it's another thing that like, if I were to quit at that Champé-Lac aid station and go home and, and sleep the night and then wake up with like a fine leg, like, oh my God, I would have been so frustrated. Oh, Um, no kidding. But yeah, like it's, it's just like another thing. Like I feel like (laughs) after yesterday, I, I flew or two days ago, I flew back to Canada and, and that just destroyed my legs. Like, um, mm. because of, because they're still in a state, like it was still just a week afterwards and they're still pretty, mm. like my knees are pretty tender and, and I felt pretty rough after the, the travel, but the recovery has gone really well. Mm-hmm. Excellent. 
Okay. Couple, couple final questions here before we wrap up and let you go. Uh, I wanted to do a little bit of a dive into gear, but I think the main, the only question I'm going to ask you is what shoes were you running in? I run in Nordas. Oh, um, yeah. Another Canadian, Canadian runner. Yeah. Yeah. The and 001s, 002s. I was running in the 001s. I, I've been lucky to get actually Nordas providing me with shoes. So um, I'm super thankful Good for, for you. that. Yeah. Um, they, That's awesome. Yeah. I, I've been, I've been trying to get them because they're my favorite shoe and, and they're Canadian and they, you know, sustainability in embedded in their company. And I think they're the best shoe ever. Um, so it's I, like the perfect thing. And, and yeah, so the zero zero ones, um, I ran in the same pair the whole time and they had 120 kilometers in them before the race. So, um, and you were good there. Oh yeah. Okay. Solid. Yeah. I didn't take my shoe off once the whole time. Um, and then not surprising. Yeah. <clears throat> and then the rest of my gear was all black diamond who also are providing me with gear. So, um, yeah. I don't Excellent. know if, if you want to go deep in what I was wearing. Well, but, no, I would yeah. love to, but yeah. So black diamond gear, Norda running shoes. Um, it's always, you know, interesting to see what some of the athletes are wearing out there, especially on the European trails. Um, yeah. There was a lot of Norda running Norda athletes at um, UTMB yeah. this year. Um, so what's coming up for you next? Have you already thought about what's next on the radar besides UTMB 2024? <laughs> Yeah, well, definitely, I want to think about UTMB. I, I don't know if it'll be 2024. Uh, it depends okay. on how the year plays out. Um, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about trying to get a golden ticket um, for Western States, which is mm -hmm. another really big goal. Um, and I'd have to get on that right now. And that's what kind of has me a little, you know, I don't know if I really want to do it um, just because... I'd have to start a training block like this next week starting. Um, and I don't think I'm, I don't think I, I'm super motivated to do that. Um, but really what's on my mind right now is skiing. Like I'm just super stoked mm. about, you know, the snow coming and, and skiing. And <laughs> I want to go back to black canyons in February. Um, and I, I've made a, a, another stupid challenge in my head to, uh, try and do really well at that race, but only training in Canada. Um, most of the athletes from Northern, the Northern States or even from Canada, they'll go down a month before and, and train in the desert. Um, so I want to try and, you know, do a little bit of snow to sand activity. Which is really hard to do, like super, super difficult. Um, but I think it could like with the right balance of everything, I think it could be possible. So that's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm excited to ski and I'm excited to go down to Black Canyons. Um, if I were to do uh, the Golden Ticket, which I need to figure out now, I, I would run Havelina, which is in October, end of October. But like I said, that's like I, I got to start on there and I have to do a lot of work before that race because it's kind of the complete opposite of UTMB. It's more of mm -hmm. a road running kind of approach mm -hmm. and... And it's a 13 hour, you know, 100 miler versus yeah. a 20 hour. Gotta do that. Miler. Actually, have to run. <laughs> so there's, it's, there's yeah. no break in that race. Um, right. So, so yeah, that's kind of like if I, if I were to do Cavalina, then I wouldn't, I don't know if I would do Black Canyons. 
There's a race in New Zealand that I want to do too called Terra Rara, mm-hmm. um, which is also a UTMB qualifier. So that would be pretty cool. And a, and a Western. It's, it's not a golden ticket though, is it? I, it's not a golden ticket. So no, that's why if I want to chase the golden ticket, I would probably need to run Havelina, not do well at Havelina, but have like the race in October to just like keep the block and the building going yeah. and then do well at black canyons or do well at canyons so like i don't know like <laughs> i wish i had a plan but i too never, soon to ask this I, question I, I like you're not do. even a week and a half after utmp <laughs> <laughs> i never do have a plan uh, probably like one late friday night at like 11 30 i'll register for like four races and that'll be it yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> But, well, yeah. um, is there is there anywhere that um, we could possibly follow along with you, like maybe oh, on a yeah. social media channel? And then when you decide <laughs> after three beers uh, on a Friday night, uh, which races you're doing next year, we can uh, we can yeah. find that out. Um, yeah, it, my Instagram is probably the best place. Mm-hmm. I am not good at Instagramming. I don't post a lot, but I uh, do try to uh, once in a while. Um, but that's really, that's really it. And then Strava, I do post a lot on Strava, so that's probably the better place to go because when I register for a race, my training usually increases quite a bit as it does always. (laughs) So yeah. Well, Ethan, this has been so fun. This is one episode that I really wish we actually recorded the video because there's been just these bright white teeth smiling at me for the last hour as you've shared your experiences. You're just glowing. And, you yes. know, even though it may not have been the way you, you had hoped uh, to run UTMB, I, you know, it's still, I think um, you overcame a lot. And that says something, yeah. too. Um, yeah. And, and you have that to take with you now for, for future runs. So there's a lot to come, I'm sure, from you in the next um, season or two or three. Yeah. Um, so it'll be exciting to see what happens for you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. 